0: You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, Hey, Northway fam. Good to be online with you again this week. Again, if you're joining us for the very first time, my name is Shay Sumlin, lead pastor here at Northway Church. So glad you're with us this week. We are continuing in our Summer Psalms series. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but amidst the last couple of weeks that we've been under as a community and as a nation, and uh, I can't think of a better book for us to be in than the book of Psalms, for us to cry our hearts out unto the Lord and ask for his help in a way that only he can. This particular Psalm that we're gonna look at this week is actually a Psalm of incredibly great comfort. It's none other than Psalm 23. And so if you have a Bible with you there, At home, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 23 with me. Many of you know this psalm. Many of you may have memorized this psalm. This is arguably the most famous psalm in the entire Psalter, maybe even one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. So many, Christian and non, are familiar with this. You've probably heard it preached at maybe any or every funeral you've been to, and uh, no doubt there is a grandmother somewhere in your family that has a cross stitch of this psalm somewhere on their wall. It's a very, very famous psalm. And the reason why this psalm is so beloved to us is is not just because it speaks of, of a God who's almighty and powerful and sovereign over the world and the universe. Not just that, but that same God is a God who draws near, who's personal, who's tender in his care for us and walks with us through some of life's hardest moments and therefore it's been so powerful and so beloved to so many. Let me ask you a question. If we were to ask ourselves what is it that we want? What is it that we we would need from a divine creator? What what would that be? I think many of us would probably say well we need that that divine creator to to nourish us and feed us, to provide for us every day. We need that divine creator to to guide us and lead us on life's journey. We need a divine creator who will protect us from evil that would wage against us. We need to know that even if the rest of the world drops the ball on us, this God, this creator would never drop the ball on us. We need to know that this God's goodness and his love will chase after us all the days of our life, and not just in this life, but we need to know that in the life to come, that this God will secure a place for us. He will, he will deal and overthrow all injustice and then bring us into his presence in total security for the rest of eternity. Like, if that's something that you long for, if that's what you're hoping for, and a divine creator, then welcome to Psalm 23. This is a psalm written by King David that speaks to those very things of who God is. Listen to the words of Psalm 23. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is the psalm of the shepherd king. And it's the the psalm of the shepherd king because that's exactly how this text is broken down. In verses one through four, David is gonna show us how God is a caring shepherd for us. And then in verses five through six, David's gonna pivot and show us how God is also a delivering king for us. The psalm of the shepherd king. Let's look at these two aspects of who God is to us. First, the Lord is our shepherd. Verse one, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now we know from 1 Samuel 17 that long before David was the king over Israel, he was a shepherd. And so if anybody's familiar with this text, this idea of shepherding, it was David. But in Psalm 23, David reverses roles. In this Psalm, he takes the role of the sheep in the pasture of God, that the Lord is his shepherd. And that's interesting to us because when one begins to identify themselves with a sheep, and this is what David does here at the height of his reign, identifies himself with with a sheep. Sheep don't get a lot of street cred in our pop culture. Like, for instance, if you're going to take a personality test, you're probably not going to end up as a sheep. You may be a lion or an otter or a golden retriever, but you're not going to have a sheep category anywhere on there. Uh, Hardly any colleges are going to carry sheep as their mascot. Uh, You're going to check out the whole 20-something movies of of, uh, Marvel, and you're not going to find a superhero or a villain anywhere who plays the role of a sheep. Why? Because sheep are dumb. As one guide in Israel once told me, said, sheep are only good really for two things, shawarma and socks. In other words, gyros and socks, we might say, are the only things that sheep are good for. But yet again, David here, as king of Israel, the height of his reign most likely, identifies himself as the sheep in God's pasture. Now notice the word Lord there in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. Many of you probably have that word in small, all capital letters. That is the translator's way of letting you know this is not the normal word that's used for Lord Adonai. This is the covenant keeping name of God that David chose to use, Yahweh. The God who makes promises and cares for not just the entire flock of Israel, but even the individual, David himself. Notice the personalization, my Shepherd. Being a shepherd in Israel took a lot of skill. God said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah three fifteen. He said to the the people of Israel, "I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding." That's exactly what it took to be a shepherd in Israel. You had to have knowledge and understanding because there are harsh environments that you're gonna have to traverse through. There is unforgiving terrain, deep canyons, very steep cliffs. There are treacherous water conditions such as flash floods and drought. You have poisonous plants and you have killer predators that are always on the lookout for young sheep. And so shepherds had to have a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding to know how to navigate those threats in such a way as to care for their, not only their entire flock, but each individual sheep therein, And so David is personalizing here the Lord's care for him. He's saying the Lord knows what it takes to lead me. Even though I may not know the paths that are in front of me, the Lord does. He's wise, he's knowledgeable, he's understanding, and he's the sufficient shepherd who can provide all the needs for all the needs that I have. Now understand, not wanting, when David says, I shall not want, not wanting doesn't mean that threats and problems will not come upon us in this life, but it does mean that we have a shepherd in our God who has the ability to lead us through those. Now, how does he do that? Well, in verses two through four, you're gonna see three primary ways in which the Lord provides as a shepherd for us. He provides nourishment, he provides guidance, and he provides protection. Look at these three here, nourishment in verses two and three. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. Now he makes me lie down in green pastures. Maybe even better translated, he he settles me down in green pastures. This is the provision of food that he gives, a shepherd gives for the sheep. And then he leaves me beside still waters. That's the provision of drink that is given to the sheep. Now neither of these are always easy to find in Israel. The land is difficult and diff- in, in different places. Don't have in your mind, don't picture the Dallas Arboretum in March. It's not what we're talking about all throughout the year in Israel. I want you to think more of like Big Bend in August. That's more of the reality that a shepherd was dealing with, with the terrain and finding food and, and water for the sheep. The green grass is found in sparse, splotchy areas. The water itself could never be rushing water because sheep are too skittish. It had to be stilled pools of water that were cut out for them. And so covering nearly five square miles a day on average for most shepherds not to overgraze the land, the shepherds had to do a lot of work in order to provide just enough nourishment for each and every sheep each and every day. And sometimes indeed there are seasons and there are lands that are lush and plentiful. Sometimes We as sheep, we enter into seasons that are the Dallas Arboretum and it's just beautiful and lush all around us. And you can just let free and enjoy and eat and be merry. And then there are other seasons, most seasons, where everything's brown, where everything's barren and only our shepherd has the ability to go find those resources to sustain and nourish us. David knew this well. And so did the apostle Paul. Listen to what he said in Philippians chapter four for I have learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to how to abound. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of, face, of facing plenty and facing hunger, of facing abundance and facing need. And his conclusion is, in either of those circumstances, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that verse, by the way, is not a proof text for how much weight you can bench uh, and impress your friends. That's not what the context of that verse is. It is all about contentment. And contentment for a sheep is not found in seasons of blessing or seasons of need. The contentment is found in the one who can provide for them. And for Paul, it is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus taught us to pray like the Israelites in the wilderness living off the manna, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, The Lord, as the good shepherd, he knows what to provide for us, just what we need at the right time. And the result of having that kind of nourishment when provided by the good shepherd is that it actually brings restoration for our soul or literally translated, it's having the whole person be brought to a place of rest. You know, Philip Keller, who wrote the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 Uh, stated that there are four things that every sheep must have in place in order for them to be able to lie down. They have to be free from fear. They have to be free from friction with other sheep. They have to be free from pests or parasites. And they have to be free from hunger and thirst. And when those basic primal needs are satisfied, then they can rest. Then they can find restoration for their soul. Let me ask us, let me ask you, let me ask us together, where are you restless right now? Are you restless right now? I know for myself and for many of us, especially in the context that we find ourselves in what has been a crazy, crazy few weeks, a crazy year, maybe for many a crazy life, there is seasons like we've faced right now of sheer restlessness. Does your soul hunger and thirst for something more? for something better than what David would say to us is turn away from self grazing on the lands of this world. And instead let the good shepherd, our Lord provide for us provide for you exactly what you need at the right moment at the right time so that you can find rest for your anxious soul. God is faithful to meet our basic needs if we will only trust the shepherd to do so, now that's just one thing that he provides: is nourishment. And again, for us, that's nourishment through God's word, nourishment through prayer, nourishment through the provision of the Holy Spirit. God is faithful to provide these things for us. In addition to common graces of rains and habitation, as Acts seventeen says, uh, or Acts fourteen says, uh, is able to give us to settle us down. But there's another aspect that God is so gracious as our good shepherd to give us, and that's guidance. You see this in the end of verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, God told Israel through Jeremiah again in Jeremiah 50, he he said, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill, they have gone and they have forgotten their fold. Now, let me tell you something. Having been to Israel several times, every mountain in Israel, every hill in Israel, it looks the same. They all look the same. And you leave a flock of sheep to themselves up on those hills, guaranteed within 24 hours, they will be lost and they will be dead because a sheep has no idea how to navigate those hills. They all look the same. In fact, some of the hillsides are so steep that the sheep would just fall off if you didn't have a shepherd there to guide them. What they need is for a shepherd to lead them across those hills um, on paths that provide for them secure footing and a healthy direction leading them to a healthy destination. Literally, when you go to Israel, you can look at the hillsides. And honestly, you could probably go down to the hill country near Austin and see the same thing. You'll look at the hillsides and you'll see these zigzag lines. You Know what those are? Those are lines that have been carved out by animals. Here in Texas, probably cattle. But in Israel, they are lines carved out by sheep and goats as shepherds have led them through those hillsides for millennia. Now, in Israel, even to this day, if you ask the locals, what do you call those zigzag lines on the hill. You know what they call them? They call them paths of righteousness because that's what they are. The Hebrew word righteous literally means right living or right behavior. But the root of that Hebrew word, zedekah, is used in terms of being in a right relationship with God or a right relationship with man that provides right direction. In other words, in this context, if a sheep is in a right relationship with their shepherd, they will follow the path that their shepherd leads them on, and that path will lead to their flourishing. But if that sheep does not have a right relationship with their shepherd, they will seek to cut their own path, a path that will most assuredly lead to their own destruction. And that's the heart behind, by the way, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, another Great passage that many of us have memorized that trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and then he will make your paths straight. God is so sure that the path that he has set out for us in his word is the one that leads to our greatest joy that he has put his name on the line for us. He is no hired hand who simply leads us out on the hillsides and then abandons us on our own. He is the one who understands that his glory among the nations rests upon how well he leads us. And as the good shepherd, his his name rises and falls on his promise to lead us forward on a path of righteousness that leads to flourishing, not destruction. And so let me ask this question, where might have you fallen off the path that the Lord has set out for you? Are there areas in your own life where you have deviated from God's design, that he has laid out in his word, his instruction for how life is to be lived in relationship with him? Have you deviated to try to make a shortcut, thinking that that would lead you to flourishing, but instead actually has led to destruction in your life? If that's you, here's the good news. The shepherd is still there waiting. And we would say, get on his path, enter into right relationship with him, Jesus Christ, and trust your good shepherd to lead you and follow the path that he has laid out for you, knowing that his promise that it is lead to, it leads to our joy and our flourishing through him. And so you see here, David says, the good shepherd gives us nourishment, gives us guidance, but notice thirdly in verse four, he gives us protection. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, also translated the valley of deep darkness. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, maybe One of the scariest pathways in all of Israel are through the canyons uh, that have been carved out over the millennia there. Even in broad daylight, the canyons can be so deep that they cast dark shadows across the valley floor. And especially this is true at night. And there are two main threats that are very common in Israel when it comes to the darkness of those canyons as we traverse through them, the number one threat is flash floods in Israel. It's the number one killer, even to this day, every year in the desert in Israel is flash floods because it can be totally clear outside as you're hiking through this canyon. But if there are rains just 10 miles up the road, eventually those flood waters are gonna make them down and they will catch you and kill you and take you out. But the second most prominent threat, as you can imagine, are fierce predators who seek to use the cover of darkness to take advantage of the vulnerable. This is exactly what we see here. You know, one guide when I was in Israel mentioned to me that once you find yourself in the valley of darkness, the only way out is forward. There is no other escape. It's just to simply keep persevering. And by the way, this verse, which is so popular at funerals, doesn't have to just be universally applied to funerals or stage four diagnoses. This verse can apply to any form of fear that we might walk through. Maybe it's tornadoes, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's systemic racism that we're walking through right now. Maybe it is, maybe it is a divorce and broken relationships. Maybe it's just loneliness where you're out. And many times there is no wheezy way out of those seasons, but only to move forward. And so how do we do that? Well, David says, we begin by fearing no evil. Now, I've mentioned this before, but fear, again, is essentially uh, another form of worship. And it's in how we ascribe power and authority to something. Now, fear can be a good gift for us, for our good, but only if it leads us to a greater trust in God over that fear. However, what happens is if we begin to ascribe that fear, that worship towards anything lesser, even evil, because God is greater than evil, And anything that's lesser, we ascribe that fear to, then it can become idolatry for us. It can become enslavement to us. It can become sin to us. And that's why the number one command most oft repeated in the Bible is do not fear. Not because the threats don't scare us in our flesh, but because you have a shepherd. You have a God who is greater than those threats. Even the threat of death, he has already secured for us. And so David's comforting promise in this darkened valley floor is that his shepherd is with him in God's creative design. Think about it this way. In God's creative design... Almost every animal out there has a built-in defense system. Some have claws, some have fangs, some have uh, spikes. Others are given speed, others are given size. You have others who have camouflage or they've got wings to fly away or venom that they can spit out, whatever it may be. When it comes to sheep, they got nothing. They can't do anything. They just sit there. When they're attacked, they just sit there. It's why Isaiah 53, talking about the Messiah, comparing him to a sheep says, it's like a sheep led silent to the slaughter. They don't even know what's about to happen. They're just heading out silent with their mouth closed. That's how sheep are. They have no defense. And so God in his mercy actually has given them a defense in a shepherd. It is the shepherd who defends the sheep. If that shepherd does his job well, then this weakest of all animals doesn't even have to fear the strongest of beasts because you know your shepherd is with you to guide you and to protect you. And he does so with two key instruments. You see there, a rod and a staff, a a defensive weapon and an offensive instrument. The rod is the defensive. It's typically a young sapling that is picked out about two and a half feet long. It's got a a hardened root at the end and it's kind of used as a a club in many ways to, to ward off predators. And in fact, David understood this very well. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, speaking about himself, he said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, then I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. I mean, that is bowed up, David. I mean, a little heart player can also grab a lion with his bare hands and take it out and use this little club, this rod to defend and ward off. But there's also this offensive instrument as well, the staff, right? The shepherd's crook, the, the one with the, with the bowed end, the hook on the end. And this is typically a five foot staff. Yes, it's used as a walking stick, but it's also used for two other things, care and correction, Care in that when a baby lamb falls and cannot get up, rather than touching it with the bare hands, the shepherd can use the staff to lift up that that struggling, stumbling sheep. And then also for correction, the, the hook of that staff is used when a sheep gets out of line, the shepherd can gently pull that sheep back into the fold. And so you see here, when these tools are used by a good shepherd, they become a comfort to the sheep. Even discipline is a comfort because it brings you back into alignment where your joy is found. And so, in the same way, we have a God who comforts us in the darkest nights of our souls, who promises to be near us when fear and anxiety well up, who promises to care and protect us from not only external threats, but even the internal ones within us, and who all the while promises to lead us forward through the valley to the destination that he has called us to, even through the deepness of the darkest valleys. And so let me ask us this, what is it, what is it you're walking through right now? What, what, what is it that you're facing? What threats and dangers are you facing in your life right now? I know as a, as a society, we are facing a radical hatred within our culture that is bursting out with anger and pain and has created fear for so many. I know for others who are walking through maybe COVID or or job loss or, or loneliness that we're feeling, whatever it is, understand from David's words, evil and pain and predators, they will not have the final say in this life. God does. The good shepherd who cares for us So do y'all see the point of verses one through four? The Lord is our shepherd and in him, we lack nothing. We can trust him to lead us. And what we learn is that this aspect of the shepherd was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says that in Christ, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Like we literally have everything that we need in Jesus We lack nothing when we have him. Jesus also tells us through Peter in 2 Peter 1 that he's given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. We are perfectly sufficient in Christ. And in addition to that, Mark chapter six, do you remember the good shepherd who looked upon the crowd and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd? And Mark literally says that Jesus causes them to then sit down in the green grass. Mark is just playing off Psalm 23 as he's recounting what Jesus did. And in that moment, he took all the hungry and he fed them. Like this is who our shepherd is. And none greater than John chapter 10, where Jesus tells us he's the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And we as his sheep, we hear his voice and he leads us out and he goes before us and we follow him. And Jesus told us in John 10 that there are indeed many predators out there who want to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep so that he can give us his righteousness. Like this is who Jesus is. And of course, in John 17, Jesus prayed, not that God would take us out of the valleys of this life, but as we walk through them, he would protect us from the evil one. Jesus is that good shepherd for us who is there for us in our greatest time of need. And we can trust his lead and we can follow. But that's not the end. That's not only for this life. There's a promise still even that will carry us all the way through in the next life to come. And that's why in verse five and six, the metaphor breaks. We move now from the metaphor of of the Lord is our shepherd to now the metaphor of The Lord is our king. And again, if if anybody understood what it means was to be a king, David did. He was the king of Israel when he wrote this. He's the king of Israel. And yet here again, the roles reverse. He's not a king in this passage. He's now a citizen under the Lord's kingdom where the Lord is his king. And this benevolent king does two primary things for us that secures our future. Number one is he delivers us and he brings about justice from our enemies. And then secondly, he will secure us to dwell safely in the land for the rest of eternity. Look at this, we'll move through this quick here. Verse five, look at the deliverance and justice of this king. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, when a king would go to battle and conquer another army and defeat another kingdom, oftentimes, what you hear are accounts not of the king incinerating the other army, but actually capturing them, binding them up together, and then brings them in front of a banquet that he hosts for his own people who have been oppressed by that former kingdom. And he brings them there to watch them celebrate after all those years of oppression that they are now freed. And this king in this moment takes on the role of a host, brings out the choicest of food at this banquet, causes the wine to be overflowing from the vats because there's so much good wine. And he takes olive oil and anoints their heads for refreshment and it's the scent of victory. All the while, while the enemies are watching this happen. Now we've got a couple examples in the Old Testament. Adonai Bazak is a Canaanite king in Judges chapter one who did this very thing. We also know Belshazzar in Daniel chapter five did this thing against God and his people and then it didn't go so well. But let me tell you, there's a reason why take the Super Bowl for instance or any other sporting a championship, when that winning team wins and the confetti drops and they're popping open champagne, you're not gonna find the losing team anywhere on that field or on that court. They're back in the locker room because they don't wanna sit out there and attend the banquet of the team that just beat them. And that's exactly what happens here. In verse five, this is the victor's chair of celebration, the victor's banquet that the king ensures for his people. And someday you and I, we too will enjoy a feast in the presence of our enemies, after which that, that enemy will be cast out from the presence of the Lord and the presence from us for all eternity. That is the perfect justice of God that is coming. Jesus is not just the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, though he is, but he's also the resurrected king who promises one day he will return, put down all his enemies and usher us into the feast of the marriage supper of the lamb. And in the meantime, until that day comes, he also serves as host preparing another meal for us that we call communion in which we celebrate what Christ has done to ensure that day will happen. As Jesus said in John 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks on my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And that's what we celebrate in communion is what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross that it ensures that future day is coming. And speaking of that future day, notice secondly and lastly, here's what the king does in verse six. We'll close here as he provides security. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Once the feast on the battlefield ends, the party just then continues in the king's house for the rest of eternity. Let me ask you something. You ever been walking around and had this sense that something evil was approaching you from behind and you're constantly looking over your shoulder, something's terrifying from behind? You know that feeling right there? Well, when Jesus is your shepherd king, you never have to fear that. His goodness and his mercy will chase after you, his sheep, all the rest of our lives, all the way into the father's house in his kingdom for all eternity. Now, goodness makes easy sense to us. That word mercy that's used there, it's actually the Hebrew word hesed. Now, we have a hard time translating that in English. We don't have quite the right word for it. It can be translated mercy, it can also be translated love. At the end of the day, it's an idea of, of loyal love, the loyal love of God that never forsakes you and never lets you go. And as the conquering king, Jesus has promised you His love has you. He will not forsake you. He will not lose you. His love, his perfect, loyal love that shows itself in mercy by withholding from you what you really deserve because he loves you and he has paid the price for you on the cross will ultimately secure you into the Father's kingdom for the rest of eternity. No matter what may befall you in this life, nothing will ever separate you from the goodness, and the mercy, the loyal love of your King Jesus for the rest of your days. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, once you are his, once you are placed in his hand, you are given eternal life and no one can ever snatch you from his hand. And so two dominant images that we are given here in Psalm 23 as a comfort to us, that of a shepherd, a shepherd who feeds who, who nourishes, who guides, and who protects us and becomes rest for our soul. All this through the work of Jesus Christ, he has accomplished for us. And also the metaphor, the image of the king who has conquered our enemies, who has delivered them over, who hosts a table for us and has us to dwell in his father's house for the rest of eternity. Y'all, we are walking through some crazy hard valleys right now as a church and as a people. And as sheep, we don't quite know how to traverse these valleys. I can assure you when I came to Northway a little under two years ago now, I had no idea what was waiting for me um, as a member and as a leader in this church. And I'll be honest with you, just in humility, I don't quite know how to navigate all of these realities for us as a church. But the good news is I don't ultimately have to. I have a shepherd king who does. And you have the same shepherd king in Jesus Christ who has given us his word to guide us, who has given us his spirit to empower us, who has given us his presence to comfort us, and who has given us his promises to secure us. And that is all we will ever need if we follow that shepherd and we serve that king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, this beautiful passage that has been so near and tender to so many of us for so long. Remind us today of the shepherd you are that cares for our souls, that looks after all of our needs, that guides us and protects us, that we might put our trust in you, follow you, trusting you will make our path straight. And God, thank you for the king that your son is who has conquered sin, Satan, and death for us. And one day will put down every injustice out there who will host a banquet feast for us that will carry on for all eternity in your house and your kingdom. Until then, God, hold us fast for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name, amen.